tell you, the uh, time of year we're in is what I think of as resolutions time of the year, right? For some of us, we have already begun or maybe we're in the final moments of committing to some resolution for 2024. By this time next week, most of you will have failed in those things already. And that will be okay unless that thing happens to be important. And in that case, press on. Amen? Resolutions reveal what we think should be important to us, even if not actually important at all. And that is why the vast majority of resolutions that are made into the new year do not make it more than a week or two or three before we give up, because the reality is our failure in resolutions often, if not always, betrays how important we actually think that thing is. If we really wanted to lose weight this year, we would. If we really wanted to give up smoking this year, we would. If we really wanted that thing to become a part of who we are or to stop being a part of who we are, we would. And obviously there are multiple reasons for for things and sometimes we really do care we really do want something but our bodies or our souls our spirits our motivations something just keeps us from getting there so i don't want to be flippant about that but we all know we make resolutions every year and sometimes often nothing happens with that today we're going to be talking about something that i just want to tell you should be of utmost importance to you, and the honest truth is that it may or may not be. What we want to talk about today should be, if you're a Christian, the most important thing, I think, that you could engage in and commit to, but whether or not you do is between you and the Lord. The passage we're going to be in today comes out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And it comes in the end, really, of Paul's letter to his protege, Timothy. Timothy has just been given a church to lead and a pastor and an elder to shepherd. He has just been sent out. He has been placed in authority over a group of believers. And we know that he is a young man. We don't know what that means, but somewhere between age 16 and 23 would be the rough framework. I remember when I was still about 33, the number of people that told me I was still too young to be a pastor. I'm 41 now, and I still feel like I'm too young to be a pastor. But there was Timothy in charge of a church. And these are the words that Paul gives him. And these words are good for us. So let us read them. Chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And ladies, uh, before you think you're off the hook in this, Uh, The man or woman of God would be an accurate reading here, as it is aimed at all believers. It just so happens that Paul is writing to Timothy, who is a man, as he writes this. But we are all together on this. Church, today we're going to be talking about God's Word. And I'll just give you a heads up about me and about my own preaching culture Every single year for the last 15 years, I have preached on the Word of God as the sermon after Christmas about New Year's time. And if I am in ministry for another 50 years, I will continue to do so unless the Lord speaks to me and tells me to do something different. 
We are approaching a new year, and for some of us, this is going to be an opportunity to make a decision about what that year will look like. And as we do so, what I want you to be full of today as we are here is an impression of how awesome and wonderful and beautiful God's Word is. That you might decide... I'll tell you up front that you might decide to be in the Word of God more this next year than you were this last year. So let us approach this and see what Paul has to say as he's teaching Timothy that we might also be taught and hear about the Word of God. Again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. If you've been in church for very long or very much, you've probably heard these words before. And I actually honestly would pray that not a single word I would say today would be new to you today. I don't know if that's the case. I'm still learning who you are. You're still learning who I am. And we're still figuring out what's been taught and preached in the past. Church, we are a Bible-believing church. We are a Bible-following church. We're a Bible-preaching church. We're a Bible-reading church. We are a church that makes the Bible one of, if not the most important part of our church service, as well as our lives. And the reason for that we're going to see today. And it begins with these words. It begins with these words. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, what does it mean by all Scripture? It means everything in God's book. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now, that phrase, breathed out by God, is a really interesting one. In fact, the only place in all of human history you will find that word is in this verse right here, until afterwards when people reference it in talking about this verse. Paul invented this word to talk about Scripture. It is a contraction, a combination of the words, Greek words for theo and, uh, and pneumos, which is God and breathed. In other words, there was not another word in the Greek language, nor is there in the English language, to describe what the Bible is. There had never been a book like it, and there never will be another book like it. There was never another document or teaching or phrase like it. Paul had to invent a word to tell us about it. God breathed. And there's a lot of weight in that phrase. Why? First, because a lot happens when God opens up his mouth. You ever notice that? Very beginning, God opens up his mouth, he speaks, what happens? A universe comes out. Pretty awesome. God opens up his mouth. He makes promises. What do we know about all of the promises of God? They come true. They are fulfilled. When God opens up his mouth, the word is given. This speaks to the origin of the Bible. It speaks to the origin of Scripture. It is from God through the people who wrote it. The origin is not those with a pen in their hand. The origin is God himself who sourced these words, who communicated this through the Holy Spirit, through the lives of faithful believers, that we might continue to read it all these thousands of years later. Not only does this phrase, God breathes, speak of the origin, but it speaks of the authority of Scripture. Because if I write something, the authority is what? It's on me. And as far as my authority goes, the writing would go there. The same thing would be true about Paul, who wrote parts of Scripture, and Matthew, and James, or, and John, and and. Luke and all the others who wrote, if the authority rested on them, it would only go as far as them, but the authority comes from the origin, which is God. And if something's authoritative, it means it carries a weight that is worth following. And church, we know, I hope you know, that the Word of God is worth following. It is worth listening to. Because the authority of it comes from God. 
Now, not only does this highlight the origin and the authority, but it also highlights the aim of Scripture. For it to be God-breathed means it is God revealing himself. And we actually touched on this last week, if you were here, as we talked about the generosity of God and sharing with us and revealing himself or to us who he is. He reveals himself in Scripture. One of the beautiful things about this is that the Bible is not a history book or a textbook in that, but it is as an intimate voice, one sharing themselves with everyone else. And so not only do we see the origin and the authority, but we see the highlighting of its aim and we see the character, the nature of the scriptures to be one of personal relationship. Hear this, church, to be in the word is to be sitting in the presence of God. To be sitting in the word is to be sitting in the presence of God, to be listening to his voice, to his teaching, to his words. And sometimes we do this together when we're gathered at church or in Bible study, even as families when we read the word together. And sometimes we get this alone, this quiet time with the Lord where we sit together. The image that I so often have when I read scripture and what I want you to have as our church together as you read scripture is that of Mary. Not Mary, the mother of Jesus, but Mary, the friend of Jesus, who was found sitting at his feet while her sister ran about busyness. If you've been in church before, you're familiar with that story. If you're not, the simple picture is this. Jesus is teaching, and Mary just finds herself sitting at his feet, listening. Her older sister, I think it's an older sister, complains about her and how she's not helping her get the table ready and get the meal together and all the things. And Jesus says to her, Martha, what you're doing is good, but, but what she's doing is better. Every time we, as individuals or as a church, sit down to read the Word of God, we are doing so as if we are Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's amazing. There is no other book like this one. There are no other words like this one. But it's so interesting to me that so often... Rather than sitting at the feet of Jesus, we find ourselves being Martha's. And we have the option of sitting there in the intimacy of the word of God with God himself. And what we do is run around with all these other things. Some of them important and some of them, let's be honest, utterly unimportant. And so we begin to see the nature of scripture through this first phrase, God breathed. We see it even more so moving into the second phrase we see here. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. That's an interesting word, profitable. What that means is that it is about gaining something, right? If you profit, you are gaining, you are increasing. You made a profit on your business deal. You came out of it on the other side with more money, right? You can profit in relationships. You, you gain in relationships or relational equity. You can uh, profit in skills and abilities and resources, right? You, you are gaining something. Well, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, the scriptures are profitable. They are good for gaining. Now, most of us would not miss out on an opportunity to profit in business, to add a little bit more money to the checking account. Most of us would not miss out on the opportunity to add something to a cherished, cherished collection, right? We all have our collections or our things, things that we love, and, and suddenly that amazing thing we've been looking for for years turns up at a garage sale or online. What do we do? We snatch it up, right? Most of us would not miss out on an opportunity to get with grandkids or to spend quality time with our own kids. And yet what the Apostle Paul is saying here is, look, the Scriptures, the Word of God is probably, it is worth it for gaining something. And we must hear this. He gives us a list after this, and that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time in. 
because the scriptures, the word of God is profitable for gaining a number of things. The first, he says, is teaching. It is profitable for teaching. Now, this implies a few things. First, it implies a transfer of knowledge, right? When you're taught something, usually something is shared, some bit of knowledge, understanding. The Word of God shares with us the the knowledge of who God is. It also shares with us the knowledge of who we are as sinners, broken and fallen. It also shares with us the knowledge of salvation, that Jesus Christ died for our sins so that our broken selves could still be in relationship to that holy, wonderful, awesome, powerful, mighty God. Not only does it share that information, it shares the information about who we, if we're in Christ and saved, should be, the kind of people that we should be. But of course, teaching doesn't end at the sharing of knowledge, does it? No, the good teaching is meant to form us and form how we think and how we live. Good education does not stop at knowledge. It is not about passing a test. It is not about winning a Bible trivia game. It is not about knowing more than others. The kind of teaching that the Bible does begins with knowledge, with sharing something that we might know it so that we might be formed. Because good teaching always forms us, not just informs us. From there, we also know that the best kind of teaching, and when you think about the best teachers that you've ever had, some of you maybe were these best teachers, praise the Lord for this, but it's personal, right? You think about the best teacher you've ever had, you think about those who you learned the most from, those who helped you the most, and you might remember how brilliant they were, you might remember how fun and engaging they were, in the material, but I can also guarantee that no matter what you come up with in your list of the best teachers, what made them the best teachers, one of the things that made them the best teachers is that the teachers were present with you. They were there for you. As you got dirty, they got dirty. As you struggled through stuff, they struggled through stuff with you, right? The best kind of teachers are right there in the thick of it. While you're being formed, they're right there walking you through it. And that's the nature of the Word of God. It is right there. When we are angry, the Word of God is is angry with us. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever read the Psalms? When you're sad, the Word of God is sad right there with you. When you're hopeful, the Word of God is hopeful right there with you. Why? Because the Word of God is a great teacher. And it is with us. And it is personal. Not only is it personal, but it's also repeating. It's repeating. See, a good good teaching continues. And one of the things we need to notice here is that Paul is writing to Timothy, not just for his sake, but for whose sake? The church that Timothy has been called to lead. Paul is training up Timothy. He's reminding him of his role as an elder in the church. And what does he say? He says to him, hey, all scripture is profitable for teaching. Yes, Timothy is meant to be taught by the word of God. But what is Timothy also supposed to do? Teach the Word of God. See, one of the great things about our faith is that we are all meant to be teachers of the Word of God. Church, what I share with you on a Sunday morning is not for you. It's for those you run into this week. Now, I hope it's for you too. Right? But, but we are meant to be not just teach or students of the word, but teachers of the word. And, and Paul is saying, Timothy, hey, what are you going to teach? Teach scripture. Show others what is in the word of God. Show others what God's word says. That's the best thing Timothy can do as a pastor. Church, you know why I do my best to preach the word of God every week? Because it's all I have. Because without it, we have nothing. And so we are meant to teach the word. 
It horrifies me when I read the book of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. I pray this would never be us. I pray this would never be you. The writer of Hebrews writes this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles or the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. How long have you been a Christian? Should you be teaching and not just being taught? And so it's repeated. The word of God is meant to be repeated. And do you know why this church exists almost 2,000 years after Jesus? Because for 2,000 years, those scriptures have been taught one to another to another to another. And that's why we're here today. So not only we see the, uh, sorry, first we see that, that the word of God is profitable for teaching, but then we're told by Paul that the word of God is profitable for what is called reproof. For reproof. Now, what is reproof? Well, I'm going to start off by giving you a little bit of warning about God's word. There are often times that when we read God's word, we will be offended. Let me just tell you this. If you've never been offended by the word of God, it's because you haven't read it enough. The word of God is offensive. It's offensive to our hearts. It's offensive to the culture that we live in. And the reason for that is, is because the word of God is the bridge between death and life. And every one of us, if we're Christians, we've moved from death to life, and we're somewhere between a rotting corpse and an eternal, awesome creation. And it's hard to go between those two things. The Word of God moves us between those two things. So what is reproof? A good word for reproof, a word we use far more often, is the word conviction. The word of God convicts us. When we read it or we hear it preached, there are times when, when you sitting here in the pew or in the, in the chairs or in Bible study or when you're sitting there by, by yourself or you read something, you hear something and what you think is, wow, that pastor's speaking right to me. Or you say, hey, those words are the exact things I needed to hear today. That's called conviction. You might think, wow, Pastor Matt's been reading my journal. I haven't. I don't know what you're struggling with. Now, some of you I do because we talk during the week, and somehow that works its way into the message. Praise the Lord for that. But there's more often than not that I say something. Somebody says, Pastor Matt, you really spoke through this thing in my life. I say, I don't even remember saying that. Why? Because of conviction. Because the same Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the same Holy Spirit is living in you that is inspiring, I pray, my messages. He knows what you need to hear. The Spirit knows. And He directs, the Spirit directs us to the Word, which brings those things out. We find ourselves convicted. And I will tell you, conviction is uncomfortable. I mean, when we're reading the Word of God and we realize that there's some major piece of our life, whether it be in our professional life or our family life, our marriage life, and we realize God's Word says this and we're doing something else and it hurts our hearts, I want to tell you something. It hurts, but it's good. It is good. Because remember, we're not sitting at the, at the edge of an impersonal textbook. We're sitting at the feet of Jesus who is speaking to us about what we need most. And so the word of God convicts us. It convicts us. And that's what reproof means. It means it speaks into us and, and tells us where we're off. And the thing is, that conviction, if you're a believer, that conviction should always lead you to repentance. It should always lead you to repentance, to turning to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this part of my life is not right. 
I need to turn. I need to go a different way. And that's actually what Paul says next. See, he moves from the profitability of teaching, the profitability of reproof, to the profitability of correction. Correction. And that's a, a fancy big word for realignment. Now, I'm not a car guy. Most of you, if you know me, you know that I'm not a car guy. I, I pay people to change my oil. Some of you are like, you pay people to change your oil? What kind of a man are you? Well, I'm, I'm a woodworker, not a car guy. I don't know. I don't know. But here's what I know. Sometimes cars need to go in for alignment. What do they do in the alignment? They take the tires and they align them together. There's a video on YouTube or someplace that I saw actually just this week. You've got a truck driving down the highway and its front end is here and its back end is here and it's driving down sideways down the highway. That's out of alignment. I don't know a lot about cars, but I know that. Some of us, we go to chiropractors, right? Maybe we go sometimes when we go off and maybe you'll never go to a chiropractor. I don't know where you're at on that. But what a chiropractor does when they treat you is they realign your spine or whatever other part of you they're working on in along with the rest of you. And what I know is when that happens, what? It often hurts a lot in that moment. But then what happens after that? It feels so good. It feels so good. This is what it means to be corrected, to be realigned. See, the reproof, that conviction, it shows us where we're off, but then the Word of God doesn't leave us in that spot. And that's a good thing that the Word of God doesn't leave us because that would be terrible, right? But the Word of God then brings us into correction. It realigns us. Another word for this is discipline. Parents, you know or you should know if you don't know this. I don't. The word discipline does not mean punish. And we don't discipline our kids to punish them, right? And if you're a good parent, I just want to tell you this. You should never, your goal should never be to punish your kids. Right? Like, just cause them pain. Great. Awesome. Doesn't do any good. Discipline is what moves a kid from here to here. And that's the goal. Right? So they are, they might be punished if you want to use that word. They might be whatever your discipline form is. But the goal is not to leave them there so that they then have to get punished again later. It's to move them to a new place. It's to realign their behavior with what you want. And that is what the Word of God does in our lives. It moves us from where we have been, from that conviction where we feel and our hearts hurt and our lives hurt because of it, to where God wants us to be. It is a realigning, it is a reshaping, it is a remaking. And the Word of God is profitable for that for each one of us. But not only that, we move from that correction to sort of the positive. Next, Paul says that it is profitable for training in righteousness. It is profitable for training in righteousness. Church, did you know that even though our gift of salvation is a gift, right? Even though our salvation, our faith is a gift from God, we are not meant to receive it and put it on a shelf and walk on. We are told repeatedly in Scripture that our salvation is something we are meant to work out. 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. says, For while bodily training is of some value, Godliness is a value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Right? So yes, physical training is good. Some of us spend some time walking or running. We go to the gym. There's other things we do to exercise our bodies. Paul says, yeah, that's good. That's fine. But there's something that's better, and that is the training of ourselves into godliness. And here's the image that I would make for any of us to think about. We can think about amazing athletes. You know, Olympic-level athletes, stars of the NFL, the NBA, all those sorts of athletes, those guys that none of us ever got to be. What would happen if they spent an hour and a half on Sunday morning training and no other time? 
they would lose a lot. And what is more valuable? A couple minutes of playtime a week or the very lives that we have? This is Paul's point in 1 Timothy 4.8, that we are meant to work out our faith. It actually tells us, Philippians 2.12, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. (laughs) Work it out. It's been given to you. It's been handed to you through the death of Jesus Christ, and yet we are meant to work it out. We're meant to exercise it in our lives. And how do we do that? The Word of God. That's its purpose. It leads us from that, that conviction, that reproof to the correction, right? And then it leads us into righteousness. And, and it does so because why? It's living and it's personal. And it comes straight from God. And that leads us finally to the last bit of profit we see here. And that is that the end of uh, verse 17. The man or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The Word of God is meant to equip us, church, for every good work that we are called to. Let me just say this really quickly. We are not saved by our works, but as saved people, we are meant to work. We're meant to do good things in this world for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors and the growth of our church. And what Paul says to Timothy, who is leading that new church, is that his church will be equipped, how? By the reading of God's word. Do you know why every single year I take an entire sermon to preach on the word of God? Because I fundamentally believe what Paul fundamentally believes and what God writes in his scriptures, that the church will grow through the equipping that we get by reading God's word. Now, whether that happens together as a church on Sunday mornings or whether we do that on our own, those are parallel paths to the equipping that God does in our lives. Here's what it says in 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own, that's God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christian, if you are a Christian, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus and filled with the Holy Spirit, then you have been chosen by God. He called you out of the darkness and he leads you into this new life. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. The word of God tells us that God's purpose in choosing you is that you might proclaim his glory. And we are told in Timothy that our equipping comes from being in the word. If you don't feel or aren't prepared declaring the excellencies of God, whether to yourself, to your church, to your spouse, to your kids, to your grandkids, to your neighbors, it's because you are not in the word of God enough. Because this is his purpose for you. His first method of equipping us is through the word of God. And let me tell you, there's a lot of tasks. There's a lot of training that can happen outside of that. There's a lot of ways to learn how to do things. But apart from scripture, they are all powerless. Because the equipping we get through scripture is not just a training of tasks. It is an equipping by the Holy Spirit in our lives to be faithful in the world. preaching. In my career, I have taught a dozen people to preach. If you want to preach, I could teach you to preach. Did you know that? I mean, I was taught at one point, I can pass along that same training. But let me tell you this, not every person I've taught has ever actually preached, even though they've all been in front of a crowd. Because you can learn the skills, but be apart from the power that comes from being in 
the word of God. Evangelism, right? Another work that we're called to. We share how our personal stories fit the biblical story. Any one of us can do that, but if we're not filling it with the word of God, there's no power. Teaching, do I need to say more? Raising kids. Church, did you know that raising of kids, I mean, anybody can do it, but not everybody will do it with power. Not everybody will do it in light of God's word. Hospitality. Do you know that hospitality is a command for all believers? Every believer is commanded to hospitality. Introverts among you, you got some work to do to figure this one out. Hospitality. Making people feel welcome in the family of God. That's a great definition that I try to use. Some are gifted with that, but all of us can do it. It happens why, how through the reading of the word of God, it happens as we let the word of God influence us and change us and modify how we think about our space, about our money, about our resources, about our time. We are equipped. Music. Man, I could say it. Anybody can learn to play an instrument. Well, maybe not everybody. But we can apply that gifting into scripture and see what God would open up for his kingdom. Baking cookies for teachers or neighbors. I mean, everybody can bake a cookie. I can bake a cookie. If I can bake a cookie, you can bake a cookie. But not all of us are going to do it with love and service and for the glory of God. Okay? A lot of ways to work this out, but I want you to think about that. We are equipped, how? By the word of God. Equipping comes after and it comes through all these other profitabilities, right? Righteousness, training in righteousness, the realignment, the, the correction. The reproof and the teaching. Equipping comes at the final end of all of those things and alongside them. So church, I want to say, we've seen what God's word is. We've seen what God's word does. And my guess right now that there is a person or two sitting in this room right now, somewhere on the balance between being offended and conviction. So let me be the first to tell you this. I'm not singling you out. I'm speaking to all of us. Because if the word of God really is everything I just said and really is what Paul just highlighted that it is, then let me just say, I don't think there's a person in this room that couldn't have more of the word of God in our lives. Amen? But if you are sitting there and you're feeling that conviction, you're saying, you know what? I believe everything that's being said today. I, I affirm it, but I just can't find myself reading it. What I want to tell you is you're not alone. We have an enemy who really wants us to keep us out of the word. Why? Because of everything I've just said. Right? The enemy does not want you to be taught or reproved or corrected or trained in righteousness or equipped. And so what the enemy does is throws obstacles at us that keep us out of the word of God. And there's two really important ones I want to highlight and walk through. The first is the thing I hear the absolute most as a pastor with Christians. Any idea what it is? I don't have enough time. That is the number one most common excuse I hear as a pastor as I talk to people about being in the Word of God. I don't have enough time. All right, real quick. You might be that very rare person who genuinely does not have enough time, but let me ask a few things. Let me go through a list really quick. If you have time for any of the following of these things, then you have more time for Bible reading. You ready for this? Number one, Netflix binging, Facebook scrolling, Instagram exploring, Pinterest browsing, news watching, online shopping, sleeping in, TV watching, walking, running, or any other working out, video game playing, fancy food making, sport playing, sports watching, hunting, novel reading, hobbies or recreation of any kind. Did I forget anything? Here's my point. We say we don't have enough time, but what we really mean by that is other things matter to me more, including binging Netflix. 
okay? And here's how I would simply guide you in this. Every one of us could put this first as opposed to second. Now, there is that very rare person who genuinely does not have enough time. They have managed to fill their life with so many good, important, and awesome things that they wake up and they're running and they, at the moment they sit down in the evening, they are out and asleep and they rinse and repeat that seven days a week, every month, every year of their lives. Here's the thing. If you're that person, I don't think you are, but if you're that person, then you need this all the more. Because if you have somehow managed to fill your time so full, then you need the teaching of the Word of God. You need the reproof of the Word of God. You need the correction of the Word of God, the training of righteousness. For the simple reason that one of the biggest commands we're told in Scripture is to slow down and listen. So what do you do if we don't have enough time? Whether you really don't have enough time or you sort of don't have enough time. Number one, schedule it and guard it. And here's what I would say to spouses. Schedule it and guard it for your spouse. Accountability together is so important on this. You don't have a spouse? Friends. Get a friend to say, hey, when's your quiet time? What are you doing? How are you guarding that time? Schedule it and guard it, whether it's the first thing you do in the day or the first thing you do when you drop your kids off at school or the first thing you, know, you do or whether you do that at your lunch break or whether it's the last thing you do in the day because you always know you're going to get the end of the day. Okay? Schedule. Number two, break it up throughout the day. Instead of taking 30 minutes or 40 minutes, whatever it is that you would read the Word of God in the morning, Break it up into five-minute chunks, right? You're waiting for a friend at Starbucks? Sit there and read. Right? You're waiting for your kids to go to school in the bus line or whatever else? Pull out your phone. Read instead of scrolling through Facebook. Break it up throughout the day. I actually think it would be more profitable for most of us to spend five five-minute times in the Word of God than 25 minutes in the Word of God in a single shot because we're filling it through our whole day at that point. Okay, here's another option. Listen to it. Listen to it. There's a great app. It's called the Version. It's free, and you can listen to the Word of God as long as you're on Wi-Fi or have internet on your phone. So you're driving your kids to school. You're driving to work. You're driving to the grocery store. You're at home doing dishes or vacuuming. You can sit there and listen to the Word of God. That's an amazing gift we've been given in our day. They didn't have a thousand years ago. So just listen to it. Let it permeate you, okay? Here's another option. Make it part of your relationships you already have. All right, time. Some of us, our time is so full of relationships with other people that we have a hard time fitting in the word of God. Well, if you have a spouse, if you have a friend, if you have a kid, if you have a grandkid, if you have a neighbor that you spend time with, add the word of God to it. Just add the word of God to it. Husbands, read the Bible with your wives. Wives, read the Bible with your husbands, right? Parents, read the Bible with your kids. Take some of that quality time that you so desperately crave and want with your kids and just take a few minutes of it and read the Bible together. Now, I will confess, I am actually pretty terrible at this. <laughs> so a lot of pastors are. It's sort of a horrifying thing. Like we're fairly good at leading a congregation, but leading our own families, like I walk through the door and I'm done. I don't want to leave my family. One of the things we started doing, I don't know, three, four weeks ago was just one or two verses or three or four verses at night when we were tucking the kids in. You know why? Because we tuck the kids in every night. And so if I'm home, I'm there with them doing it. If I'm not home, Betsy does it with the kids. We, we read a few verses. It doesn't take a lot. It doesn't take a lot. Okay? All right. Second obstacle. Second most common obstacle I hear. I don't understand it. Now, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands on this one, but I hear this a lot. I say, I would read the Word of God, but when I read it, I just don't understand it. I just don't get it. You know, sometimes that, that comes with a compliment to the pastor. So, well, you know, I don't get it, but when you speak it, like, I understand it. Let me tell you this. The Bible is the most difficult book that has ever been written in the history of the world. 
Big pause. It is. The smartest, most brilliant, most faithful people in this world have spent their entire lives studying it and at the end of their lives confess that they feel they have barely scratched its surface. That's the word of God. Why? Because it was written by an infinite being. <laughs> but it is also simple enough that a child can read it and discern the true and right meaning of much, if not all, of its teachings. This morning at center, the song we sang right before I preached was Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, for the Bible tells me so. I have to tell you, sometimes you read the Bible, it seems foreign to our daily lives. There's stuff in it we don't get, we don't understand because it's written in a different time period and we're still struggling to figure out our own time period, let alone that one. Some of us have trouble reading in general, Right? We, we don't read anything because we really struggle to read at all. Let me, real quick on that. If that's you, listen to it. Not only that, listen to it while looking at the words on the page, and suddenly you will be a better reader. The Bible is actually the, the book that, that in history has been used more than any other teaching and training method to teach the, particularly the English language, but every language it's been written in. Missionaries use that around the world as they're teaching people who don't know English. They use the Bible to teach it so that people learn not only English, but they learn the Bible. Okay? What do we do? What do we do? We have trouble understanding it. Well, here's the first massive, most important thing you can do. Pray. I already told you the same Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, the same Holy Spirit that lives in you is hopefully embodying my preaching as I preach and equipping me for that. The same Holy Spirit that is in you is the one that sourced the scriptures in the first place. Is the same one that communicated and spoke with the authors. So ask the Holy Spirit to open it up to you. Okay? Number two. Read with other people. I've already said this. Read with your spouse. Read with others. Up until our modern time, the Bible most commonly was actually read with other people and not alone. In fact, I think the most danger that we can sometimes get in is when we only ever read it alone and we don't read it in community. And so if you don't understand it, read it with somebody who does or at least who gets a little more than you do. And let me just make an invitation for you. If that's you, give me a call. Say, Pastor Matt, I'd like to sit down with you and have lunch with you once a week and read the Bible. You know what I'm going to say? Heck yes. Sign me up, okay? I'd love to sit down and read the Bible with you. I need it for me, and you probably need it for you. Other than that, you've got friends, you've got people here at church. Find somebody. Say, you know what? Once a week, I just want to sit down with you, and we can walk through a chapter of Scripture a week. See what happens, okay? Another good suggestion. Get a good study Bible. A study Bible is a Bible that, that has all kinds of commentary written into the usually bottom margins of it. The best one, I think, is called the ESV Study Bible. It's a great Bible. It has tons of information. And almost every time I'm reading through something, I think, what does that mean? I go to the bottom, and it says a little note, and I say, oh, that helps, Okay? Get a good study Bible if you have trouble understanding. All right, here's the last suggestion I will make, and that is to keep reading it. Every Bible scholar, every pastor you've ever looked up to, everybody you've ever thought was a Bible genius started as a newbie who had never opened their Bible. Every one of them started in a place where they read through and did not understand a single word of it. One of the ways that we get better at reading the Bible is by reading the Bible. And so keep reading it. And that actually lands me to the end of our message today. And this is my challenge and my call to all of us. I want us as a church to be in the Word more this year than we were last year. I want us to be in it more. And here's the phrasing. Here's the thing I want you to think about. What you do now as you approach the Word of God is ordinary. Okay? Whether that's one verse a day, one verse a week, one verse a month, or you didn't even open it up at all this year and you only ever heard it while being here at church. That's ordinary. 
What I want you to read this year is extraordinary. Right? Extraordinary. Beyond that. So if you read one verse a week, read two this year. If you read one chapter a week, read two chapters this year. Whatever it was, take it and go a little further. Now here's some, here's some challenges that I might make you, and maybe your, your spirit rings true to this. All right, here's, here's a great option. If you've never read the Bible before, all the way through, read the Bible in a year. It is roughly 15 minutes a day to read all through the Bible, all the way, if you're an average reader. Right? If you're a very poor reader, it might be 20 minutes. If you're a very fast reader, it might be 10 minutes. Okay? Another option. Read the Bible in 90 days. Now, an average reader reads that in about an hour and 15 minutes a day. I have a friend who reads it four times every year. Okay? An hour. An hour a day to be in the Word of God. I have a friend, I don't recommend this. He read the Bible in seven days. It was roughly 21, 22 hours of reading straight through every day for seven days. Four or five hours of sleep max, and then, I mean, just rolled back through it. I will tell you, I've never seen somebody grow that fast in my life once he got some good sleep afterwards. Okay, if you've never read through the New Testament, read the New Testament this year. If you've never read the Old Testament, read the Old Testament this year. Maybe some of you have done those sorts of things a lot. You've read through the Bible a lot. One of the things I think I'm going to do this year is, is probably spend the entire year in one book. I've never done that before. I've never just said, all right, I'm going to study a single book all the way through the whole year. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not going to read other things because we still have sermons to preach in other places. But just focus on one, on one book, on one section, on one thought, all right? Whatever you've been doing, do more. That's, that's the challenge this year. Why? Because as a church, if we are all in the Word of God more, then we are all going to be taught. We're all going to be reproved, right? Convicted. We're all going to be corrected. We're realigned. We're all going to be trained in righteousness. And we will all be equipped for every good work that He calls us to this year. And I don't know about you, church, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of in 2024.